like my cornbread in the morning right I like my cornbread when it's nice and fresh I like my cornbread with a little bit of butter I like them sticky fingers when it gets so well Hey mama don't you make a poor man bed Hey mama don't you make a man bed Hey mama don't you hear what I say your cornbread every day I like to eat my cornbread in the kitchen I like to eat it on the back porch swing I like my cornbread in the middle of the winter I like a little extra cornbread in the spring Good afternoon and welcome to Hot Water Cornbread, Kentucky Food Radio here on Lexington Community Radio, coming to you live from downtown Lexington, the studios of Lexington Community Radio, WLXULPFM, here with your hosts, Rona Roberts, back from a long soiree. Oh, and so much Across good food. America. So much good food. And uh, Weta Michael. Yay. Hi, Weta. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Chris Michael. Here again. We're here again. We're here again. We're all together again. We're here. We're here. That's a little song for you, Rona. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I could mostly not listen to... Uh, the show or even play it later because I was in places with really, really bad or no internet access. Wow, that's, um, for that's th- wonderful. For that's weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was good except for this one little thing. Um, so, and, and actually we wanted to, you know, watch political conventions, which usually we, we don't have a television. We'd usually do that streaming on our computers and we couldn't, so we had to, had to actually watch somebody's television it's like new experience what is that (laughs) (laughs) well we have a special guest with us rona yes we do my good friend and hot yoga buddy um rowena malak and i'm not sure i'm saying malak right close malak 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 okay in there my husband's fruits okay um and rowena is going to she has a a new blog and we're going to learn all about that but i want to just say very quickly before we do our first wonderful thing that we do every week uh that she's been a software engineer lawyer who took four different states bars community advocate in a serious level and now she has this beautiful website um with a blog built in called Realistic Foodies. We will talk a lot about it. <clears throat> but welcome, Rowena. Excuse me. Glad Thank to you. have you. Thank we'll you. do I'm a so more glad. thorough interview, uh, introduction after <laughs> and interview uh, after we play our first um, thing that we do, which is Best Bite or Sip. You have to go first, Rona, because you've been traveling. Oh, my gosh. For $500, it's, <laughs> the category is Best Bite or Sip of the Week. All right. Prepare to be jealous, everyone who's listening. Um, I'm cheating because it wasn't last week, but this, this, this is the thing that kind of I think about all year long. Seals, C-E-A-L, apostrophe S, Seals Clam Stand in um, Seabrook, New Hampshire, 
is about a mile and a half from where my family stays in the summer at a little working class beach called Salisbury Beach, Massachusetts. And Seals, uh, Seal was a woman whose dad set her up in a business because he thought her husband was a lousy guy, wouldn't support her, and he started her in a clam shack in 1949, 1948. <laughs> and he was right, her dad was right about the guy, and Seal was this formidable woman who worked in the shop until she was in the clam stand until she was um, about 90 and rode a motor scooter. Um, but they make the best fried clams and fried scallops and um, onion ring, fried onion rings and everything else. Our kids always like, went there for the hot dogs. They were so good. <laughs> so anyway, we have this sort of, they're like pilgrimages. We go to seals, not, not as often as we used to, as our stomachs have grown mature, but um, every bite there is just scrumptious. They seem, even after seals passing, now there are four more generations involved. And they seem to know how to fry the things that come out of the ocean and from nearby just beautifully. So Yum. memorable, still in my still in my mind. Seals at Seabrook. If anyone is nearby, you would not think Seabrook. you want to stop Seabrook, New Hampshire. Okay, we stay in Massachusetts, but we're right on the border. Oh. So that's me. I took more than my fair share. No, you didn't. <laughs> oh, I've missed a few weeks. That's <laughs> great. You know. That's a great. Yes, that sounds wonderful. Brian, what about you? Um, well, let's see. We were traveling this past weekend as well, and um, this might not sound great, but uh, <laughs> all answers but we are had, correct. We had, um, my husband and I had just completed a 21-day sugar detox, so for 21 days we existed in this world without sugar, mm-hmm. and that ended last week. So the whole week we were planning this um to pack this meal for us while we stayed at the Hampton Inn, just off of uh, off of 64 in Beckley, West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to um, pack like a charcuterie board. And uh, because while we could have the uh, charcuterie, the meats, we could not have the dairy or the crackers or the pears even we couldn't have on our sugar detox. And of course, we couldn't have the wine. So, <laughs> so we just brought all that to um, in our hotel room and uh, just munched on that all night and watched the Olympics. Mm. It was great. Uh, it was great. I mean, I tell you, after going on the sugar detox, um, one of the things I heard is or that um, was explained to us is that our palate would change mm-hmm. and foods such that, um, and I can explain why later, why this happened, but foods that you would normally eat uh, before the sugar detox and you ate again afterwards, um, they would, you would just taste the sugar in it and realize how much naturally occurring sugars are in foods and to foods, begin with. Yeah. Uh, and that pear was just... It was like we've never <laughs> eaten a pear before. Like we discovered this. Oh my God! What is this wonderful fruit? <laughs> I feel like our ancestors had that response to yeah. sugar. Yeah. Things. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they did. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, that was the only way they got sugar. Right. Our ancestors was through fruits or honey. Right. Um, yeah. So. Oh, I didn't realize that your sugar detox. We'll talk about this more, but I surely didn't realize. That it you don't you didn't just cut out sugars you cut out things which had naturally occurring sugars as well I didn't realize that yes and part of that um, was part of it was because if they had if there was a high starch content mm-hmm. in in the food itself so for instance like beets or sweet corn mm-hmm. um, that your body doesn't process that mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as, I mean, carrots were allowed, and carrots are naturally high mm-hmm. in, in sugars. Mm-hmm. But um, there's enough micronutrients in the carrots that your body will process that and metabolize it mm-hmm. um, well enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So, so yes. Yeah, so the only fruits we were allowed were lemons, limes, and Granny Smith apples. <laughs> so, <laughs> tart things. <laughs> Lots of tarts. <laughs> yes, yes, tart things. I do love tart, though. How about yeah. you, Weedah Michael? Well, let's see. I had a couple things. I had some <laughs> oysters on the half shell yesterday that I loved with just mm. horseradish and lemon. That's oh. my favorite. Mm. And it's and not even an R month. but It's not, yeah. but most oysters these days, uh, the R month thing is about cultivation and oyster breeding. So oysters are both sexes. If you've never read a lot about oysters, I can highly recommend MFK Fisher's book on oysters. Oysters are both sexes. They're the each, each oyster is both sexes. Well, no, they no. go from. Oh, now I can't remember. They go from. Chris will look it up for us. They go from male <laughs> to female, or male female to male, huh. in their yeah. lifetime. Hmm. But so the R months refer to soft shells in oysters that happen during breeding. See, the, when the oysters are breeding, but but really most oysters today are cultivated or a lot. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you can. Yeah, you don't have to follow that as strictly as you once may have had to. Ah. Well, we've had one show. What, what are you laughing at? <laughs> I made the mistake of Googling oyster sex. <laughs> <laughs> you don't recommend well, it or you do? You might have meant gender. <laughs> yes, I should have said gender. <laughs> Well, I'm, really I'm glad good. to know that, and I yeah. I read recently too that oysters oyster cultivation is a continually positive part mm-hmm. of environmental reclamation and and restoring something just exquisite to our food chain. We in we've done one show that was mostly about oysters back in the fall where yeah. we where we talked about the fact that in 1839 the first Kentucky cookbook has oyster recipes mm-hmm. because oysters can be packed fresh live in mm-hmm. burlap and ice in you know at a coast and then by train they they ship them in and as far as denver they could be wow. fresh and then they open them and once they're open then they're going to spoil my oh. parents hometown is this little town called thermopolis wyoming in uh, the middle of central wyoming and they can remember oysters coming in by train um and even my grandmother could remember that. Mm-hmm. So they, that was a very popular thing to do. Oh, um, oysters are so wonderful. Okay, yeah, so but yeah. you were and they're the, big in water cleaning. You're right. But you have another one. You have another food too. The mole sauce. I did the. We've been making the mole Oaxaca, the black mole sauce at Holly Hill, and it's a really hard sauce to make. Um, I'm glad to hear you say that. It's I've never succeeded difficult. in making a mole sauce. Really? No, I just can't. I don't. It just it falls apart. Or what recipe are you using? Oh, several from the internet, probably. There's only one good recipe out there for <laughs> yeah. the general. That's the problem. Yes, and it's know. Rick Bayless's recipes. All right, we'll see and if we can. The, his very find first that. cookbook, I think, was his best, and it's. Um, I I can't remember the name of the book. It's like one of my Bibles that I go to. But that black mm-hmm. mole, he has a lot of different mole recipes, but the Oaxacan black mole is the one that I'm talking about. And um, it's the best. It's a complicated recipe to make because you make several purees together. So you toast nuts and you, you know, it's got banana and, uh, you know, so you make all these different grinds of chili peppers and, you know, you have to fry the pepper, you have to rehydrate wow. the pepper, you have to puree the pepper. So Mercy. it's a hard sauce. It's yeah. like a restaurant dish. I know. <laughs> when yeah, I'm definitely. willing to come to Holly what Hill is to the, eat. What is the quantity that that, that makes think, me? Did you have to double well, or triple the recipe? To- no, no, no. Well, at the, at the Holly Hill, yes. We, we, we have made that dish a long, long time. Um, 
but we we probably multiply it by two or three times. But it makes a really, really intense, thick, thick mole, and then you add chicken broth to it. Mm. To oh. that's how you, you don't. It's mm. not in its final state mm. when you're done. Uh-huh. So you, you don't get, need you it with get a spoon. More yield out of it. Okay. No, no. Well, most people. <laughs> but I, I was so proud of it because you know I retired from the Holly Hill Inn Kitchen this past month, and I have. Um, faithfully stayed out of the kitchen now for all of July and August. And um, I was so pleased because the staff made Chris and I dinner, and the new chef's name is Tyler McNabb. So I'm still what Shout they call Tyler. an executive <laughs> chef, but that just means I kind of own the place and help write menus, and I judge quality and solve problems and things like that. But the day-to-day operation of the kitchen has been turned over to young chef Tyler, and uh, I was really, really happy with the quality of the food. Very happy. What what uh, what was the mole sauce thin with chicken broth? What was it on top of? We're doing a duck with mole. <gasps> oh um, my god, it's really great. <laughs> I, I know, know where I want to be this weekend. Duck mole is really good. And but there is a dish on the menu right now. It's it's on the menu of many um, Latin restaurants called pork. It's a pork pibil, which mm-hmm. is a spiced. But mm-hmm. we used um, Travis Hood's heritage mm-hmm. hogs, mm-hmm. and. Um, which is an incredible piece That's of Hood's, pork. Hood's Heritage Hogs, and yeah. they're available. His meats are available at the Lexington Farmers Market on yeah. Saturdays. And they um, so exquisite. every every so often when he takes a whole one in, he calls me. He, mm-hmm. We're on kind of a cycle now, but I don't get them very frequently. Mm-hmm. But so we did the pabil out of that and did a big. They are, we did a, we have this huge tamale and banana leaf with corn, and um, so I had that. And I put the mole all over that. Oh, oh yeah, that was so good. I have to oh, say, I, I hate bragging on my own place, but I, <laughs> I feel like better it about it now that I can brag on Tyler. <laughs> is this on the menu for this weekend? Because it is. The, the whole menu is is Latin flavor because of what's coming in locally. So okay. like local poblanos, rellenos mm-hmm. with squash blossom filling, and oh yeah, where yeah. are the local poblanos from? Because I actually I used to live in New Mexico, and when we were out there, the hatch green chilies were yes. the big thing. So I still order my green chilies from new mexico and it comes like flat flash frozen you know, Rowena, I, I want to use you as a mouthpiece for this campaign that i want us to embark on here oh, which I is love to. is to encourage people to grow these hatch green chilies here mm-hmm. and for the extension agency if you're listening at fayette county extension agency buy a chili roaster for the farmer's market mm-hmm. so that we that could do a would chili be roast amazing. here amazing because yes. it, they are so delicious they are. and there is absolutely no reason we can't do it here because yeah, they grow you, great yeah here. you can't I, I don't know i don't know about growing but you can't taste another hatch green chili here. Once you've had it. Yes. It's yeah, like absolutely. It, and that's what they made the chili rellenos yeah. out of. I mean, you, you as you were I only peel I only I never roasted the chilies, but I bought we bought a split a bag with some friends. Right. And um they wrote you know, the the sellers roasted them, but we came home and we peeled them. Peel them. Mm-hmm. And as we were peeling, which is quite an ordeal, but as you're peeling, you just um my friend who is native to New Mexico would say, Well, we need to save these for the chili rellenos. If you yeah. came out with a really nice good one, you put those good aside. One. Yeah, she put those aside. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, well Elmwood Stock Farm had a roaster um cage for a couple of years. Did they? They did, and they roasted at the farmer's market, and the smell is more intoxicating than coffee. I mean, you, you have yes, to fabulous. go find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whether they kept that, I, I remember asking what happened one year. This has been probably five or six years ago. Oh, okay. 
which in my case usually means nine or ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I think it was five or six years ago. And I remember asking uh, Max Stone about it, and I've forgotten what the answer was. But maybe it was just maybe not enough of us. Maybe not enough of the supply or, yeah, not, or not enough, enough of, of a purchasing power uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. on the behalf of the community. I don't know, but they may Sign still have for it. that purchasing power. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, like I said, I'm ordering mine from New Mexico right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, there's lots of local tomatillas and poblanos out. The the people that I buy from um, for the Holly Hill is Happy Jack's Pumpkin Patch on 421. Okay. And, I mean, I feel like every week I'm telling people, but <laughs> they do operate from 9 to 6 every Monday through Saturday. Uh, at their farm location, right off 421, it's the first right-hand turn past the Franklin County line, and uh, they have a big walk-in on their farm and a nice farm shed where they sell all kinds of things. But the poblanos and tomatillos they've been raising for some years. Okay, and uh, they're delicious. A nice big juicy Great. ones. Great. Chris Michael, mm-hmm. your turn. Oh, um, uh, did, or did you learn anything about oyster gender? He's lost an oyster gender. Uh, all oysters are born male, and they can turn female after a year. And by age three, ninety percent are female. I don't know why. Oh my gosh, we're going to have to have a whole symposium on this is especially in the we're we're in this land and world of gender fluidity now. This is we're going to have to learn from oysters. So typically, if you have two oysters of the same kind and one is larger than the other, it's the larger one is more likely female because the older they are, the more likely they are to be female. Oh. And so, if as a okay, so it's it's all it's bigger, so it's older, so it's right. likely uh-huh. to be female. Right. And if it's female, does it reproduce? Is it responsible for reproduction? Well, I assume that the yes, the females are responsible for the reproduction now. We'll find. We, they're we, not the same. They're not. They're not. Um, they're only one. They're not the male and female at the same time. They switch back and forth. They switch back and forth. So back I would assume forth. when they switch to female, they can reproduce. And do they sometimes go uh, back to male? I think so. Yeah. <gasps> goodness how interesting oh yeah i know and and and, you know let me just say what before chris chris hasn't taken his his best oh that's his contribution i was just going to say (laughs) that um i used to long for oysters all year long and have them a few times in the fall we'd buy uh from critchfields the there they buy they have some really great like early fall oysters and we would make them at home and now we just eat oysters at um Smithtown Seafood and Windy Corner yeah. Restaurant, and we feel like we're the luckiest people in the world. And they have a gluten-free coating, yeah, um, yeah. which is fantastic. So, yeah. you know, oysters are just be- becoming a bigger part of our lives. Well, do you have any oyster music, Chris, for our break, for well, our first break? That one. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what is oyster yeah. music? Well, we, have a, uh, we have to do a little business, and then uh, I guess we'll be back okay. after this. <laughs> This portion of WLXL's programming is brought to you by Arabesque World Dance. Located at 451B Chair Avenue, Arabesque offers entertainment and lessons in Middle Eastern and American belly dance, hand drumming, yoga, and more. For more information on shows and classes, visit www.arabesquelex.com or call 859-455-8991. awkward to talk to your partner about STDs, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't. Half of sexually active people under the age of 25 will get a sexually transmitted infection. Most of them won't even know it because many STDs have no symptoms. Do you know your STD status? 
The only way to be sure is to get tested. If you're uncomfortable talking to your regular doctor about STDs, make an appointment with Planned Parenthood on their website at PlannedParenthood.org. Don't have insurance? Free testing is available at the Lexington Health Department. Call them at 859-288-2483. Don't want my cheese sprayed from a can, and I don't want no turkey ham, no imitation bacon bits, powdered gravy, instant grits. Give me a Country ham and pinto beans, homemade biscuits spread with butter. Reminds me of my sweet grandmother. Let me smell those pecan pies, see those yeast rolls start to rise. Don't serve me up no slick disguise, I'm in a hungry mood. from a roll, a microwave my casserole, don't puff my weed or box my cake, don't coat my steak in a shaking bag. Give me real food like collard greens, country hams and pinto beans, homemade biscuits spread with butter, reminds me of my sweet grandmother. Let me smell those pecan pies, see those yeast rolls start to rise. Don't serve me up no slick disguise, I'm in a hungry mood. I want real food. I don't understand real imitation flavor. And freshly frozen doesn't make much sense. I can't even spell reconstituted. TV dinners always make me wince Give me real food like collard greens and country ham and pinto beans We are back with Hot Water Cornbread, Kentucky Food Radio here on Lexington Community Radio. Hi everyone, welcome back. We had an incredibly efficient fire drill here at Steam Academy and... um, Actually, those of us in the studio had something even more wonderful, which was uh, freshly made lumpia spring rolls that Rowena brought in. Lumpia Shanghai is the one with meat. Yes. And then she brought one with vegetables. And the interior, these were rice paper made made specifically for lumpia, which meant that us gluten-free people could eat them. It was wonderful. And inside was a lot of local um, food, locally grown Veggies, meats. Mm-hmm. Yes. You want to say? Um, yeah, sure. Well, I have first of all, just I have an um, Elmwood CSA, so mm-hmm. I used a lot of the vegetables that I got from there. Um, so, for instance, the vegetable spring rolls. Uh, t- my mother typically just used uh, green beans and carrots and some um, uh, minced shrimp and garlic. Uh, but because I had um, I had some carrots left over from a CSA a couple weeks ago, and I had, we got just got some cabbage from our CSA this week, mm-hmm. and zucchinis, I shredded all of that together mm-hmm. to just add that to the, the green beans. The green beans were not local. I actually um, 
the green beans are needed for the structure, so I need it. I just got the frozen mm -hmm. green beans, the Herakort Furts, mm -hmm. um, to give the structure mm -hmm. for it. Um, so, yes, that's what's in the vegetarian spring rolls. Oh, they're not vegetarian because they do have shrimp, but the vegetable ones, I call them. Um, and then the lumpia Shanghai, that's the traditional Filipino lumpia, uh, and that's made with ground pork. And uh, we bulk buy all of our meat from Pike Valley. Um, Which is in uh, Garrett County, I yes, think. Yes, in Garrett County. Uh, Lancaster, Garrett, maybe. It's, it's where Lancaster, yeah. yes, it's in Garrett yeah. County. Mm -hmm. um, and they have a, a Lexington Buyers Club every month, so you can order online, and then they come to Lexington once a month, and you go to that location, and you pick up your your meat. Um, and the ground pork that that I had was, or that I used, is uh, sweet Italian mm. ground, ground pork, which I'm, is great. <laughs> And I'm still enjoying it. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it just gives it some really so good flavor. So you don't really have to, have to flavor it as much. Right. Um, and those also had the, the um, Elmwood carrots and, um, and some of the cabbage mm. in it as well. I don't know that we said before we were so um, no, we happily not. interrupted that Rowena is, uh, was born in the Philippines. No, yes. we didn't say that. <laughs> and she was raised in different parts of the country, but West Virginia, um, after she, you were one year old when, yes, you, when you came to West Virginia. Yeah, I was only a year old. And where, where was it in West Virginia? Where did you go? Um, the very first place my family uh, settled when we moved here was Wheeling, West Virginia. Wheeling, which is way yes. up in the, it's near Pittsburgh, right? Near Pittsburgh. Uh, way up in the, the long so, arm. What is that yes, called? The, the panhandle? Long arm. Yes, yeah. that's a good way to explain uh -huh. it. In the long arm of, um, of West Virginia. So, um, and we immigrated around the time, um, back in the 60s, during the Vietnam War, uh, the immigration laws were relaxed to allow doctors, uh, my father was a physician, to come to the United States uh, and practice in rural areas because mm -hmm. there was a shortage of doctors mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And I think that still occurs a lot. I, I mean, think it's really yes. interesting yeah. if you go to these small, small towns um, around across the country and you see this, this um cultural group of, of, of yeah. people who have come to settle yeah. that way. Um, and my father found a position in Wheeling, West Virginia. So we, we stayed there. And we moved uh, around a little bit as he completed his training. But we stayed mostly in the Appalachia area, ended up settling in southeastern Ohio. Hmm. And, um, and, you know, I went to school there. And uh, yeah, that's and then she went to school in a whole lot of other places yes. as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Rowan uh, and I know each other. Let's give a shout out to Sterling Hot Yoga. We met yes, in the yoga studio. We've both been practicing there a long time. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Rowena much more flexibly than I, <laughs> and much more intensively than I. But we still, you know, our point is to encourage each other. It's a wonderful studio. It's a community there too. Um, so that's where we met, and then I began learning all these intriguing things about her, that she's a lawyer, she's a software engineer, she is a passionate advocate for social justice. I think she's on the board of the Community Action Agency, uh, for one thing, but the thing that impresses me more is that you are the CASA, you're the court-appointed yes. special advocate, which is a lot different from being a board member um, of an organization. It requires hands-on, well, you say, but... Yes. Uh, for those of you who aren't, who aren't familiar, yeah, a CASA, CASA, again, court-appointed special 
advocate. Uh, we are trained volunteers. We go through an extensive training program and what we are trained to do is to advocate for the best interest of children who are in the family court system because of abuse or neglect. So um, most, you know, mo just about every case we get is a difficult case because the um, even though there are lawyers involved representing all the parties, the uh, caretakers, the family members, um, and there's a guardian ad litem who represents the children, um, you know, a lot of the lawyers don't have the time to dedicate to find out and bond with the children and just just understand what their needs are. And that's where CASAs come in. The judges will appoint CASAs, or I'm sorry, appoint CASAs uh, in cases where they feel that there's just more information in this case that needs uh, needs to be investigated. Come to light. Yes, and yes. And it's highly confidential. <clears throat> But it you is. can volunteer, and you can also donate. Yes, yes, and they are they are having their superhero run coming mm -hmm. up here in, in next month. So if you go to their website, and I should remember what it is, we'll, but, we'll put this. Okay, on we'll, great. We'll, we'll put it on our great because um, because it is it is a wonderful you know rewarding program to be a part of, and it's it's such uh, an important organization because uh, without CASAs, a lot of these children will be spending a lot more time in foster care, a lot more time in unstable living situations, and uh, and CASAs come in and help help stabilize their lives. A lot of times we are the only stable adult throughout That's their ordeal right. uh, because there's just a lot of issues going on um, with their home life. So, um, Rowena, when I read your bio that you sent me, which and we will share bits and pieces of it as we go, we won't be able to share it all. I don't think because it is just it's just glorious. <laughs> it's glorious. Would say it's huge. <laughs> it's crazy. It's beautiful yes. <laughs> and it's full of things. But I, uh, when I read it, I thought um, there are about four or five other. Uh, community radio shows that are going to want to have you as guests to talk about as <laughs> yeah. a guest to talk about the, these different things that you do. Um, the CASA is not the only hands-on um, advocacy work you've done. You, for years, you were a volunteer crisis counselor with with Bluegrass Rape Crisis Center, and then joined their board and yes. stayed on their board for years. And then they foolishly put their board meeting at a time when you can't be there uh, so you you're you're now an emeritus but big fan still yeah, i understand yeah, of still, a, still, Center. A, still very closely bonded with the organization and the i should say the board meetings were always on the same day but then i took on casa and then i, I recently see, was yeah. appointed to the human rights commission mm -hmm. and just because of the scheduling involved i needed to condense some of my activities mm -hmm. uh, and that was the other meetings I have for the other boards I serve on are on Mondays, and this particular, the Bluegrass Road Crisis Center board meeting was on a Thursday, and that was kind of yeah. the outliers. <laughs> but still, great organization. Support it very much. Well, thank you for serving in so many good ways. And now we we want to come around to the um, – we're just going to skip over all the law work, okay? okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> that, is that is something to skip over. <laughs> a, a lawyer who, who moved – Moved around with her beloved husband Tim as he followed uh, things that he was interested in too, and got more and more education as a radi radiologist, musculoskeletal mus radiologist muscular. out at Lexington Clinic. Yes, Tim Malik. Tim Malik. Um, and so this led Rowena, who was 
working to be a lawyer to have to take the bar exam four different times. And she passed every single time, so she's four times a lawyer. I was going to say, that's that a real proving ground. <laughs> that's for, right. Yeah. I, know, what I a, think yeah, there should be a crazy. nationwide law that if you've passed four, you're in everywhere. That really should. It was crazy. I can't believe I, I that. I could have taught how to pass these exams by the end yeah. of it. Mercy. And, and, and not one of them then is reciprocal with Kentucky. That is so frustrating. I know. Is that uh, shocking? No. no. <laughs> we are our own nation over, <laughs> over here in the, in the bluegrass. Um, but, but so just th- so people know that's in your background, but you recently have, well, it's not that you've recently turned your attention to really good food because you've been interested in it since I've known you, which is some years now, mm-hmm. but you recently have, have, um, put professional energy and attention on real food um, and created a wonderful website with a built-in blog called Realistic Foodies. Um, we'll spell that and we will uh, put it, it's already been on, we, we already have it posted on Hot Water Cornbread. Okay. Um, but you go ahead and spell it for us. www.realistic, R-E-A-L-I-S. T-I-C, foodies, F-O-O-D-E-S. So it's really the foodies part that needs spelling. That's right, foodies. (laughs) Don't ask me how I came up with that name. I think I was just in this fury of trying to figure out a unique name and... um, can, you know, try. I wanted to, to have real and food in the name, and that's just what I came up with. And now I have it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful website, and uh, you know, I just googled that, and I got a website for fake food. Oh. And I googled realistic foodies. Isn't that weird? With I E S or with E S? No, just that's the first thing that comes uh-huh. up is fake food. Oh. oh, well, everyone, go to well, my website and bump those SEOs up. Yes, we so need so to. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's. <laughs> But it's, it's a beautiful website. Thank Talk you. Talk about a little bit about what your... So what does it mean to you? I thought your mission statement was really great on the website, but could you talk about that for our listeners? What it, what's sure. this What's this term, realistic foodie, mean to you? Why did you want it? Sure, what? sure. Well, uh, the point of the website is to promote a real food lifestyle. So eating primarily real food, and real food is whole, unprocessed, unrefined food. It's cooked. Um, but it's just not, there's no processing, the um, additional processing that goes on to it. So it doesn't go through a food manufacturer in order to bring that food you're, to You're cooking table. it yourself. Yes, cooking it yourself, preparing it yourself, choosing it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it, it just is this uh, lifestyle-based mindset. So it's not a diet. It's not a weight loss program. It is about trying to uh, build your eating patterns around eating real food. Well, why would I want to if I'm not going to lose weight, Rowena? <laughs> What's in it well, for me, this realistic well, food style? If you, are, if you are transitioning from a um, uh, food practice, I'll call it, of primarily uh, ultra-processed foods, processed foods, foods that are high with excessive sugars and salt and other and other unhealthy we ingredients. We can call that the standard American diet. Yes, the standard American diet. The standard diet. American diet. If you are transitioning from that to real food, you will lose weight um, because you're just not eating all of that bad stuff anymore. You're filling your body with really good stuff, uh, the good foods. Um, but it's not going, I mean, the goal is not weight loss. The goal is lifelong health. So mm-hmm. it's a journey towards lifelong health. And... Um, you know, and I've been living this life since 2011 when my, my husband and I made this 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 uh, food shift. Um, 
in, a, in our philosophy and our lives. And it's just has been really mind blowing. I mean, it just, we just came off of a 21 day sugar detox. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. I was like, you know, I just feel like I can defy gravity. I mean, <laughs> it's so empowering to, um, you know, when you're, when you're making these great choices about your food and you're understanding why and you're, you're tasting the food and it, and everything just tastes great and good and whole. And, and especially if you, uh, like us, we, we support a lot of local foods, mm -hmm. food suppliers and manufacturers and, and growers and farmers. And, uh, you know, just to be able to taste that bounty of Kentucky. I mean, I'd love for people to buy into this uh, movement more. And I do think of it as a movement. Sure. Um, and to me, it's more of a movement that is um, going to empower people to find their best selves through real food. Uh, because it's really about, uh, that's really what it's about. I mean, it's about um, tapping into your own self-worth, making yourself your number one priority. You are going to do this because you deserve good quality food and, and you're going to get lifelong health for it. Mm -hmm. And so, Rowena, would you share with us this, a, a couple of examples of realistic foods that would be um, out there right this minute in Lexington, Kentucky, um, that people might be, so they'll know just precisely some of the things that you're suggesting. And this is, this is a very good moment because we're in late summer with every yeah. vegetable, uh, right. But, but Pretty much anything you want to go yes, out there and look for. If you go to the farmer's market, anything that you'll get there would be a real food. I mean, um, conceptually, to, the way to think about it is anything, if you go out into a, you know, in, into the the farm and you pick something up like you pick up a carrot that's real food you know you just pull that from the ground and brush it off and put it in your mouth that's eating real food um you know in uh i'm not you know be you know i i get i think i might have mentioned you know we get our csa through umwood stock farm so mm -hmm. every week we get this i call it a box of bountiful bliss i mean every week we get this wonderful box of vegetables and produce yeah. and and um N name a few things that were in last week. The last one, we had some cabbage and uh, zucchini and yellow squash. That's in season, so we're just getting a lot of that. The tomatoes, I think we were talking mm -hmm. about that earlier during the fire drill. We're just getting a lot of great um, heirloom tomatoes yeah. um, You know that are huge and beautiful and just luscious. You know, to mm -hmm. hold and certified <laughs> yeah. organic because yeah. they're from Elwood. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, get kale and spinach and... Um, you know, sometimes we get herbs. This past uh, week, we got some raspberries. Those are the raspberries I used around yeah. the flan that that um. That so we when I brought the most beautiful flan in, I mean, the most beautiful one I've ever seen. I think we'll try. I got a picture. It's another we'll try Filipino to put that on. dish from her heritage, yeah. which is a theme of what you've been working on. Is you've taken these dishes that you learned from your mom, so they've been passed down for many generations, yes. probably. Yeah, and you've carried them through Wheeling, West Virginia, and Ohio, and all around New the Mexico, country, Washington, California, <laughs> down into New Mexico, and now you're, um, you've landed in Kentucky with Tim, and you've made this commitment, and you're changing some of these recipes to reflect this new commitment, um, and can you talk about, so if we were thinking about the lumpia, which you brought in, mm -hmm. what would be some of the little, what would be to you the changes that you've taken to that recipe to make it more attuned to your current uh, food choices? Mm -hmm. uh, well, the fortunate thing about these recipes um, is that 
a lot of them have real, I mean, they're based on real food because, you yeah. know, back in the day where these recipes started, you know, back in our, you know, generations ago, they didn't have preservatives. Um, I think we were speaking with some some ladies uh, earlier today, Rona and I were, and, and uh, we were talking about the food. And, you know, I, I just remember things like, you know, when we go to school and we eat the cafeteria food, you know, it wasn't the food that my mom was making. So we'd be going home and we were really confused. And we'd say, you know, how come they get to eat this food? <laughs> and we have to eat this food. This food is not what we see on the commercials and the restaurants and in <laughs> schools. And my mother would just say, you know, those foods all have preservatives. Yeah. <laughs> and well, so, you made a good point. Well, side sidestep just one second. You made a really good point to these two young um, STEM uh, Steam Academy students who were uh, were here in the in the station, and that was that um, when you that there's no ingredient list on yes. real food, not, not usually. I mean, it might have yeah. it might say green beans and salt, for example, on a p- package of frozen green beans. But mm-hmm. um, essentially, there's there's you're. Sometimes I try to, I've never known the right language. I like having just the handle of real food. But sometimes I say to people, I just use ingredients. I mean, I yeah. just use yeah. green beans and salt and, yeah. you know, yes. You can recognize yeah. every one of the ingredients. I mean, if you look at an ingredient label of an ultra-processed food, you know, they have things like malodextrin and, you know, mm-hmm. all these chemically sounding names. Right. You're not going to have that in your cupboards. You can't reach anywhere and get that. That does right. not exist in regular homes. Right. In, <laughs> well, in, in real life. There's the yeah. aspect, there's that aspect of the ingredients, but you've also changed some other things about yes. the recipes. Yeah. Just getting back to your question, Weed, I'm sorry. No, no, um, that's good. So some of these foods that um, I'm trying to adapt, like, for instance, with the... Uh, the lumpia, Shanghai, which are the po- ground pork-based lumpia, that typically has some soy sauce in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, soy sauce is, is um, an ingredient I don't use very often anymore. Soy is a very processed food mm-hmm. in our culture. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most processed foods. <clears throat> so I try to avoid soy products. Um, and so instead, there's a food or a, uh, an ingredient called coconut aminos, mm-hmm. which is uh, produced from a coconut. Uh, and it's similar to soy sauce, not exactly. It has more of a sweeter taste than soy sauce, I think. So um, I use that in the, uh, the Shanghai spring rolls instead. Um, I'm you trying to think. the coconut Oil. Yes, and I, that's right. Thank you. I, uh, Talk I used a little to, bit about that and why you would make that choice. Yes. Well, I used to use um, lard <laughs> because it's deep fried, right? <laughs> um, you know, like a Crisco lard, and uh, which is you know, check the ingredient labels. That's all processing. Um, and uh, in the real food community, if you search online for, um, you know, like real food fats, a lot of times coconut oil will show up because coconut right. oil is um, an unrefined uh, natural oil. It also is vegan. So a lot of vegans will use that for, for mm-hmm. cooking. And it's a high heat cooking oil, which means the oil is not going to burn. Um, so, uh, so. You made uh, you the know, decision said, to go yes, away from I mean, like a canola oil yes. and toward a, a coconut oil. Yes, yes. Yeah. Because now lard because does not have to be highly processed. It doesn't because we 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 make our own lard and it's really easy to do. And you can find the um, the lard. You can find the fat at the farmers market. Usually, most 
pork mm-hmm. producers will be able to local pork producers can sell it to you and then yes. you can render it yourself at home yeah yes and i actually do that yeah. because i buy um our pork products from pike, pike valley Mali. which has 100 so percent grass-fed clean, all that clean, clean pork so um and i actually have a recipe for it in on my website um under the bacon the oven fried bacon recipe because yeah. what i do is after i uh after i cook the bacon then you get all of this great fatty goodness at the bottom of your broiler pan and I just strain it and yeah. uh, and and keep it. So I actually keep jars <laughs> of uh, of the bacon fat. That's very Kentucky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, it might be it maybe it may also be Philippine or New Mexico. I think it's, pretty Filipino yeah. Too. it's definitely <laughs> Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. And I use it like all last last night I made a roasted chicken and I just mixed some of that bacon fat with some spices mm-hmm. and just rubbed it all over the chicken. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, that sounds it's delicious. wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it's not really a diet, and it's not about um, saying to yourself, you know, I'm not eating this or that in terms of what whole foods are, or real foods are. But it's about trying to prepare all the food that you eat yourself. Yes, yes, which is hard to do, mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the reasons that one of the things that motivated me to start this blog because having been through this, and um, I'm someone who who had a lot of time that I could spend doing this it was hard for me yeah uh, and I struggled initially so I felt like well if it's hard for me it's got to be hard for other people and um, and as I start, said earlier to me this is about movement you know just mm-hmm. creating this movement yeah. of people that just want to join and 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 you know practice eating this way um, so, so have you had bumps in the road that you've learned how to overcome that might be useful to share with other people? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we all do. And I mentioned we, my husband and I just did this 21-day detox, sugar detox. Yeah. And we did that because we had a bump in the road, because we had realized, we got to a point where we realized, you know, we were kind of getting far away from where we were. And July, we had... Um, Late June and and throughout July, we had some events we had to go to, some uh, fundraiser. We had you know Tim's birthday was in July, so of course we're celebrating. And um, oh, and we had just come off a of Burger Week. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> Which, I mean, don't give it. We love the burgers we had. We so like we savored and enjoyed them. But you know, we just realized that we were starting to get a little further away. And of course, with burgers, there's beer. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, needed to take a rest. Yeah, yeah. So we needed to hit the pause button, and we did that through a 21-day detox. Um, do you have that kind of detox on your website? Can I people do. find a guide on yes, how to do Yes, yes, I do. Actually, throughout the 21 days, I chronicled our journey. Um, not so much as doing narratives of how I was feeling or what was happening. I also tried to step back and just, you know, read more and do more research and post um more articles about what I was learning. So sharing, you know, my thoughts about food and how I was um, clarifying my food ideology. Um, So on each one of those blog posts at the very bottom is a link to the 21-day sugar detox program that we did. Mm -hmm. I actually, I I just believe in it so much, I decided to be an affiliate for the program. So I have links all over my blog uh, for that. Um, How did you find it? I... 
it was developed by a woman. I actually have been following her for a long time since I started. I found her, um, you know, when we first started five years ago, there weren't that many resources mm -hmm. out there. So, right. you know, now I think you you have to sift through a lot. But uh, her name is Diane Sanfilippo. I hope I'm pronouncing oh, that correctly. Oh, she's written several she's done balanced important bikes. books. Yeah, yes, yes. she's done some very yeah. seminal books about the paleo mm -hmm. diet mm -hmm. approach. And um, about autoimmune disease. Yes, how autoimmune do, disease. Basically, the things that we all need to yeah, know about. Yes, yeah. she developed this 21-day sugar detox program, um, which is which is wonderful. And, uh, and so a friend of mine was asking me about a detox program recently and i did you know i, I said oh, i think she's got one so i mm -hmm. looked into it and realized um it's just a good it's it's real food based mm -hmm. and that's what's good about this program you get through these 21 days by eating real food there's no pills there's no powders it's right. not you know you're not making shakes or smoothies or juices you know you're not living on that i mean you're actually living on good real regular food. food yes regular real, food. real food yes Rowan, a lot of people, and, and one of my sons told me that he loves to cook for his um, his wife's work companions who are all actors, but he said everyone's on a Whole30. Um, oh, yes. And I don't know how many people have done Whole30. I have. Have you done Whole30? We did Whole30. How, how, so Whole30, which anyone can find on the internet, I'll post a link to that too, is a different approach to sort of resetting the body from, from it's different, but there's, I don't think there's sugar in it. Yes. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that aren't in it. Yeah. Um, yes. How, how would you compare the two? Well, any real food-based program like Whole30, the 21-Day Sugar Detox, the Paleo Approach, I think there's also like um, AIP, which is an autoimmune protocol, yes, yes. GAPS, which is a um, gut and psychology syndrome protocol, SCD, specific carbo carbohydrate diet. All of these programs are based on real food. Mm -hmm. uh, so it starts with real food. It starts with, you know, very, you know, there's no, you try to avoid anything with added processed or refined sugars. Um, that's another component mm -hmm. of a lot of these programs. And then from there, it just is different takes or spins based on mm -hmm. whoever has developed mm -hmm. the, the mm -hmm. program. Um, and then for like AIP or GAPS or SCDs, those are programs that are geared towards um, towards certain physical, if you have certain physical disorders, like AIP is typically for people who have Hashimoto's, disease which or, is a thyroid condition yes, a caused thyroid by condition. a gut, um, malfunction yes and um arthritis psoriasis those are typically uh, people who who suffer from those will follow an aip protocol if they want to follow a real food program right um so whole 30 i can't remember i i did that so many uh, like two or three years ago oh it's no believe, dairy no yes, um no oils other than yes. it's very similar yeah. to the paleo but mm -hmm. i think what they did is create make it more of a formalized paleo it's program. very very kind of formally demanding strict it's, a, it's yes. like boot camp and you live through it and for 30 i mean days. We sh you know you should have t-shirts um, yes. <laughs> it is and people often post their as as you yes. did they people often post their uh every meal so that other people can know how you do this yes, thing. Yes. and you know i should say that tim and i once we 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 went we got to the real food point we took it further and tried paleo mm -hmm. Um, which we still, I think we, we, we live between the real food and paleo, maybe closer to the paleo spectrum. But um, well, let's just say one for one thing. Yes. That probably mostly means no gluten-containing grains. Yes, as paleo is no grains, yeah. no, no dairy, no, no dairy. legumes, no That's added right. sugars. That's right. Um, 
And uh, it's kind of the theory is based on let's eat what our ancestors ate and, and the types, the ways our ancestors ate. So the meats um, are... Which ancestors is my question. <laughs> <laughs> Milking cows for quite a while yeah. and picking beans for a well, long time. Yes. The, um, I think before the, cultivation. Yeah. I think before, before the 10,000 yes. years of agriculture yes. is what they yeah, say. Yeah, pre-cultivation. And, um, and the meat, um, the preferred meats, if you can afford it and are available, are the 100% grass-fed mm-hmm. um meat, pasture-raised uh, We're very animals. lucky. I don't think people realize how lucky we are in Kentucky because we have such great pasture oh, land. Oh, my gosh. We do. We There's have a, lot, a of lot of resources. meats available yes. uh, at the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. Yes. And as I mentioned, I um, use Pike Valley, and you know, I picked that for certain reasons. But you know, there's so many others out there. They're yeah. really great. Uh, Elmwood has mm-hmm. their um, mm-hmm. the, you know, the really great meat products as well. Um, but just getting back to something that Rona said, you know, there are really all of these different programs, but they're all real food based. And that's why I decided to tailor my website and this movement around real food, because you have to get to real first. And then if you need to try or want to try an AIP protocol or a paleo protocol or Mediterranean diet is even a real food based diet, which is a very popular diet these days, you know, you start by getting real, and then you can go to that point. I, I think the thing, too, that I liked about the title of your blog is the realistic part of it, because a lot of the people that I know that go on these different protocols, not to criticize the protocol, Rowena, mm-hmm. but um, they can't sustain it. No. Their involvement peters out because it's not a sustainable way to eat. Um, or what ends up happening is... They pick a protocol, and there are lots of ways to follow these protocols yes. that don't involve cooking whole foods from the garden. Yeah. And so then before you know it, you're following a dietary protocol, and you're using, you know, you're using, you're eating less healthy than yeah. you were before. Yeah, right. So yeah. you have to be careful about when you what you choose to do it. And I think the realistic one, and in trying to not lose sight of your real life, and, and some yeah. of the things that you talked about in your mission statement is a really smart way to go about it. And first, just getting the cooking techniques down yes. so that you feel comfortable with your knife and you feel comfortable with basically fresh fruit and vegetables mm-hmm. yeah um and then um, moving forward from there into some of these more advanced um mm-hmm. pro- uh, ways of thinking about food can really be successful so i, I like the realistic part yes, of yes. what you're talking about because make it seem very unintimidating and less conscripted yeah you know yes, exactly and it's it's you know, then that's why I don't call it a diet. It's a lifestyle. It's yeah. just finding your own pace right. in learning how to do this. Because everyone is going to approach this from, you're going to be coming from a different And remembering you're level. on a continuum. Yes. You're not, it's not an all or nothing thing yes. that you can. It's a journey. It's a journey. It's a journey. Right. And you know, that mentality, it, that mental approach is based on all of the yoga that Rowan and I have been doing. Because in yoga, we always say things like, it's it's not perfect, it's called practice. Yeah. Uh, you know, your body is your destiny. So you are going to have limitations and barriers in your life. Like, you know, when we practice in yoga, you know, you're, there's some things your body just are not going right. to be able to do. And um, But you're always trying to grow and you're always trying to get there. Um, yeah. And it's similar to, these, um, to this realistic foodies approach it's a journey and you know everyone's journey is going to be different and it's and about, it's about trying awareness to, yes it's about awareness and just trying to uh, ease barriers right. and continually progressing yeah so 
I think we probably are going to have to stop our show, even though... I know, we could go on forever. Yes, we feel like we're probably barely... I geeking out on real food. I could talk about this forever. Uh, It's fascinating to listen to you. I I do want to say, too, about Rowena's blog. I mean, even though we have to stop talking to her right now, um, on your blog, you have very straightforward recipes. You have food Mm -hmm. that can be cooked without recipes. So you've... And you are very encouraging to people who don't want to spend fortunes on their yes. food but want to eat or whole food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And showing ways that that can be done. So we encourage very much people to um, to go to your blog. And I think you're going to also um, gradually be more available maybe as a speaker and uh, doing workshops. Yeah, yes, that's my plan. After I started this blog, I realized, hey, this could be a There's business. A so I want to be able yeah. to provide workshops. And um, I'm also thinking about some products to um, develop that will help people plan and organize and just figure out how to do this in your life. The idea is to build your life into real food, not the other way around. Yeah. So. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, with yeah. that, I guess we better say you've been listening to Hot Water Cornbread, Rona. <laughs> <laughs> and we're happy to all be back in the same room together. Yes, we are. I'm Thank Rita. you. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful to have you, Rowena Moloch. And, yes. and Thanks, It won't be our last visit, we know. So we should do like a Thanksgiving visit or a fall visit. Oh, yes. Let's see. I make some paella. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! If she cooks like she's what she's bringing uh-huh, in here, uh-huh. I'm just going to tell you, it's so great and so nice to see you, Rona. It's lovely to I've be back. You. Thanks, Chris and Wida, Rowena Malak. Thanks so much for introducing us to the world of realistic foodies.